Folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is June the 10th, 2020, and this is episode 2678 of the Survival Podcast. Today's show is called The Ultimate Conversation on Children and Technology. Is it really ultimate? I don't know, but it was good. Uh, the title actually came from the proposal from my guests, so I'm not claiming anything here, but I think it was an amazing topic. Matt Cleofer joins us today, and we're going to discuss the impact of technology on children and families. Matt was on before t- to talk about finding the why as a homeschooler. Uh, just a little over a month ago, he immediately submitted an application to be back on, and I immediately sent it to Dorothy and said, get him booked again. Uh, and then what happened this time was a lot like what happened last time, a fantastic conversation. This is actually the way a conversation should go. Two people discussing an idea, deeply listening to and learning from each other. Right after we, we, we ended the, the conversation for the show, and he said goodbye, and there's a pause then, and then my guest and I usually say a few words before I hang up. He said, that was great. I learned a lot. And, of course, he's a guest on my show that's designed to come on the show and teach us something. And I said, I learned a lot, too. When you have the right kind of conversation, it just makes sense that both sides should learn from it. It just does because you know things that the person you're talking to doesn't. And if you're talking about a common interest, then you both know things the other person doesn't about the common interest, and instead of debate, you're discovering what you can learn from each other. That is why I had a fantastic time with Matt in this conversation. I think uh, it will uh, it will enlighten you, I think it will engage you, and I think it will make you question some things that you might be doing in your own home. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is an awesome, awesome company to deal with. Um, every Every month, a great big box full of meat gets delivered to my house. It's always in great shape. It's always fantastic quality. And, man, it was really a butt saver in the middle of this COVID thing to have that, know that that was going to show up every week. So check them out today. Uh, you'll find pastured pork, pastured poultry, grass-fed beef, and the same price or less than you'll pay for a lower-quality product in the store. I call that a win, 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 win. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. I've been a subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993. Do I need to say more? I'm talking a paying subscriber. Well, they give it to you for free. Actually, they don't. Actually, they don't. When they became a sponsor, they said, uh, we can give you a free subscription. I said, I already got one. <laughs> Here's a movie, re- uh, movie reference. I've already got one. <laughs> I really did. I said, I've already got one. And... Uh, I've just maintained my subscription because I just think they're a fantastic publication. And uh, I started this show in 2008. They came on board as a sponsor in 2010. Uh, that means that they had been a company I'd been buying from for 17 years before I took them as a sponsor. Check them out. You'll see why at BackwoodsHome.com. With that, before I bring our guest on again, Matt Cleaver, Let's. I, I got a quote for you today. It's by me. Um, and it came this morning when I had a person challenge my my assertion uh, about anarchism. And it, I really didn't make a case for anarchism. I made a case for a single thing in society being privatized. But this person, knowing I was an anarchist, then attacked anarchism. And 
I won't get into the discussion. I just want to tell you what I said in return. You really should know what anarchy actually is before saying it won't work. Also, if you knew what it was, you might actually end up already considering yourself an anarchist. Never fear simply learning about something before criticizing it. And I think that applies to way more than anarchism. That could be the quote by itself. Never fear simply learning about something before you criticize it. Because what I find that happens with anarcho thought is that the objections that people give me to anarchism, many of them before I understood anarchism fully, were the same objections I had. And I consider myself a rational, intelligent, logical person. And I was back then. I didn't become logical, logical and rational. I simply took the time to learn more about something before criticizing it. And that same logic and reason that told me it wouldn't work then told me that it probably would work really well. And so when somebody says something like, you know, monopolies are terrible and, and anarchism will lead to monopolies, I agree perfectly with the first part. I agree perfectly. Monopolies are terrible. Monopolies are the worst thing in the world. Then why would you want one for the most essential services that you have? You know, the discussion today was about law enforcement. So if law enforcement is so critical to our needs, if it's so important, Why would you want a monopoly in law enforcement? If monopolies are bad, why would you want one for something so critical? Just think about that for a second. I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I want to know. I want you to actually examine that intellectually. And the only reason you would come up with is, well, I don't like it, but it's the only way we can do it. So if there's a way we can do it without a monopoly, should we consider it? And then I want you to be willing to apply that same logical analysis to everything that you think we need the government to do. If there's a way that we can do this without theft, without taking property from other people through the use of force, and while avoiding a monopoly, should we consider it? And then I would tell you that it is likely that only through anarchy, and anarchy doesn't necessarily have to be, The whole, the whole system, but any, only through anarchy in that place can we assure that we do not have a monopoly. Because the state is a monopoly. And if you say the state's not a monopoly, well, what's my choice? So I, I live in my house. It's my house. I paid for it. I have every right to live here. And Tarrant County has law enforcement rights in my property. I live where only the sheriff is. And I, that's strategic. I made that decision. But if I don't like the way the sheriff's doing his job, what is my recourse? Well, you can vote in an election. Okay, so I get to choose between two sheriffs. And all I'm doing is selecting the president of the same company that will serve me. So I have a monopoly. Can I, can the people of my county fire the Talent County Sheriff's, Sheriff's Department and hire somebody else? Can I, I, I don't care if we replace the sheriff. We still have Tarrant County Sheriff's Department. That organization, if if the top people in it all retired tomorrow, they would all be replaced, and because of continuity of government, almost nothing would change. So if we're not happy, do we have another choice? And the answer is no. So we have a monopoly. So monopolies are bad. I agree. Just something to think about. And I challenge some of you that have always said, I agree with Jack with so much, but the anarchy thing, I can't get there. I'm not telling you to change your mind. I'm telling you to find out what it's really all about. And I'll tell you a great way to do that. Um, uh, uh, Pete Quinones has a new uh, documentary out uh, just a week ago. It finally came out. 
uh, called Monopoly on Violence. I would suggest watching it. That's all I'm suggesting. Just watch it. Draw your own conclusions. Just take a look at it. I'll put a link in today's show notes. And with that, let's get into talking about technology and how technology can be a wonderful thing and how it also can be a terrible thing. With that, I want to say, hey, Matt, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Jack, thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Hey, I had you on not very long ago, but I imagine there's people on today that didn't get that episode. So give us a little bit about your background. We're going to be talking about uh, technology and kids today, the overuse of it, maybe the proper use of it, how, how to use it, when not to use it. Uh, we'll also probably be coming at this a bit from homeschooling uh, mindset as well. Uh, but just kick back from there and, like, what's your background and, and how did it lead you down this path? Sure. Uh, I was a product of the public school system. Uh, went off to college. I was a music major, and uh, I lived on a small-scale rural Kansas farm. And uh, after that, left to go teach in public school. I taught for five years, uh, saw a lot of things, <laughs> which we'll talk about later, and eventually just wound myself, uh, my wife and I just decided to start homeschooling our four kids. I had had some students that were homeschooled and they just just completely threw me for a loop i couldn't understand why these kids just performed so well hmm. uh they, they weren't socially awkward they looked you in the eye they they would do what you told them to not because they were a bunch of sheeple but be, they just had a, a large amount of self-respect they were very self-motivated anyway uh while i was in public school i just started to notice a lot of things that technology was doing that was more so hindering the ability of the teacher to relate to the student. It was like there was this uh, barrier between uh, the child and the teacher, and it was a device, either a computer or a phone or an iPad or whatever. And I started to really notice some of the same tendencies in my house with my children, the relationship I had in my marriage with my wife. And so it caused us to kind of uh, try to make some, you know, some inward decisions and, and uh, try not to let technology be so intrusive on our, our family relationships. So that's kind of where we'll go today. Okay. So. so what is your personal interpretation of, I guess, you know, like the, the overall evolution of technology and the role and relationship it's had in the life of humans? Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, we could go back to like, you know, John Henry and the steam-powered uh, stake driver on the railroad. And, you know, when that device, that piece of technology, or even like human speech, I mean, yeah, part of it were great things that allowed us to be able to connect and understand. But really what technology, there's there's a large category of technology that takes the place of people. And I, I hear you talk about this all the time, like where you go to a grocery store and, and you know, there's uh, no checker at the checkout. It's self-checkout, you know, so the need for people gets less and less and less and less and less. And where there is so much efficiency in that, what it, there, we, I think we've really crossed this bell curve of efficiency to where technology, has, you know, kind of has really started to be intrusive in the human experience and how we relate to each other. And I think we, we as humans are really going to have to be very aware of where we go from here, from this point on, as to how we relate to it and how it it plays a part in our relationships as humans. Yeah, I have a, a lot of views on this. On some levels, I think that like we're not going to have not have more new 
and more advanced and in some ways better technology developed. Like it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be here. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I do right. believe it can overwhelm our lives. And <clears throat> so what is the purpose of technology at its core? And, and to me, that purpose is to serve people. Like we right. don't make technology to serve uh, some, you know, if, we, if you have a belief in spirituality of some sort and you have some version of God, you don't build technology so it will serve God. You don't build right. technology to serve, uh, even if you do it to, let's say, serve microorganisms, you're really doing it because you think humanity will benefit by having a more stable earth. Like everything technology does is designed to serve humans. So when I look at technology, I think it in one way is wonderful because I like furthering the goals of humans, especially when they're noble goals. The other side of it I look at is think of a, 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 a young kid born into a very wealthy family who is surrounded by servants 24-7 to the point where he never even learns to wipe his butt. Right. And then take yeah. that young person and try to send him out to live with other humans. And we've all seen maybe not quite that bad, but what happens in those situations is that person is now unable to function and in many times ends up in a lot of trouble. And I think technology can kind of be like those over-caring, over-provided over servants. It's because I am I, I, not somebody that wants to get rid of technology. I know we're going to have some discussions about how it's negative today, but I don't want the technology to go away. And it, when, yeah. when a monkey takes a stick and shoves it into a, a termite mound and a termite grab onto it, and they pull it out into termites, they're employing a form of technology. Right. But if you get yeah. to the point where something else will robotically stick that stick in there and feed that monkey till he can't move, that doesn't serve the monkey anymore. So there's some point, I think, where there's a crossover <laughs> where we go from it right. serving humanity to actually damaging humanity. And what it makes me think of is a guy, every time I mention this guy, people flip out and think I'm justifying murder. Ted Kaczynski. And I encourage anybody that just immediately bristles when they hear that name to go find out how he became what he became, which was our government throwing him in a program called MK Ultra and, and, and screwing up what was a very brilliant mind. The guy has an IQ of something like 180 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, But he wrote yeah. his manifesto, and a lot of that was Looney Tunes because, well, you melt somebody's brain, but he was still very, very smart. That doesn't mean good. Smart doesn't mean good. You know, it's every – just so people understand it. Every bad guy in the comics tends to be a, a doctor, right? It's Dr. Doom or whatever, right? So smart doesn't mean good. But one of the things he talked about in that manifesto was how if we don't do something, technology, instead of serving humans, will control humans. And there's a very interesting documentary on Netflix about the whole thing. It's a multi-part thing. And it, even though it's Hollywood-ish, it's very rooted in the truth. It's very, as close to reality as you're going to get with a storyline. And there's a point where the detective that catches him, or actually the uh, profiler that caught him, is interrogating him and trying to get him to confess because the way they got all the evidence, they may not have been able to in- introduce it in court. So he's trying to identify with him. He talks about how when he read this part of his manifesto, he thought about how one night he was in his car. He pulled up to a red light. It's pitch dark. You can see four ways at this red light for miles. There's not a cop anywhere. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's sitting this red light and he's letting this light tell him to waste two minutes of his life when there is absolutely no reason to comply and yet he is complying now he was doing that to try to 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 build a relationship with Kaczynski so that Kaczynski would start talking but it actually was like my wife and I looked at each other and went holy crap Mm. Because he's not afraid a cop's going to come get him at that point. There's no way. There, you can see, 
right? And what's the worst that's going to happen? You get a $25 ticket? So what? But you're going to obey this light. I think in some ways our kids start obeying the technology through engagement. So the technology is basically saying, continue to use me. And now the child yeah. is obeying it the way you and I would obey that light at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The, what, I think what ends up happening where the children start to consume technology at a younger and younger place as it becomes you know more accessible to them as it's marketed better eventually they're going to start to run to that technology before they come to us mm. and i mean we can talk more about that later but it's you know there's a lot there's a lot of avenues we can go down on this yeah. it's such a cool topic and it's weird because you say that because it, on some levels i want them to and on others i don't right so when right. my when my grandson comes to me and says well who would win a tiger or a lion I'm totally content to say, why don't you research that, right? Yeah. Why don't you research that? Let me help you research that, right? But I'm not yes. going to just tell you the answer to that. And I don't see that as much different. When I, when I was a kid, I'd run to my dad and go, like, how do you spell? And he would go, D-I-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. No matter what word I said, he would spell dictionary back to me. In other words, go look it up, <laughs> right? Like, how do I spell, you know, uh Totalitarian, D-I-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. And, and today the answer yeah. is G-O-O-G-L-E, right? I don't have a right. problem with right. that use of technology because now the technology is serving. But I think that there's a point where if they're running to, you, to, to technology to feel safe, right? Yeah. Or they're running to technology to feel loved. And that's where I really that's, think when we start getting validation that, from technology. Yeah. That's where that's – where uh, the parts of the human mind get very, very confused when they try to seek out those uh, parts of connection to another human and they're trying to do it through a device. Even though there may be another human on the other end, but just for the simple fact that their eyes are not locked onto another eye, a, you know, a concrete, another human in front of you, you will say and do things through the conduit of that device that you would never do and we all know this, with another human standing in front of you. I mean, it just totally changes the way that we interact. And that that's really uh, kind of where, you know, where we need to be very decisive and direct as to how we decide uh, to let technology be a tool or a toy in our relationships and our families and with our kids and in our homeschooling. That's, that's the biggest thing. So how did technology pay, play a role in your childhood? Let me play psychoanalyst here. We're talking about you seem to have some issues with technology, so instead of being your parents, uh, tell us how technology touched you as a child, maybe inappropriately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, you know, I grew up uh, right when the first computers were hitting every household and right before cell phones were in the hands of high school kids. So like that was like right early two thousands, okay. you know, when gateway and AOL was just making the scene and uh, teachers were just like, you know, they were, they did not grow up with this stuff and they were being forced to figure out ways to use it in the classroom. And, and kind of just like parents were, it was like, well, I don't know anything about it. You just do it. You know, it's like, yeah. you just, you just lead the way. And so there was no real generation before us to kind of help us walk down this road to kind of show us what this was. And nobody at that time really knew the the dangers of it or, you know, is it addictive or anything like that. But the longer it went on and the more it evolved, 
you know, by the time you're in college and the devices were like 20 times as powerful and fast as they sure. were five years before, you know, the early stages of how technology and computers and cell phones just completely went from nothing to a huge amount of time that people were on them. Uh, it really started for me to allow me to just shut people out of my life. You know, or where it, it's just so much easier to hold the device up in your phone instead of talking to somebody or walking down the road or looking, look somebody in the eye. And it wasn't until people really started to be like, Hey, would you put that down? <laughs> you know, or I would say that to other people, or I would try to get my own students in the classroom. Like it became a serious problem in the classroom. Like, please put the computer away. Please put the computer. You would ask them multiple times. And it was just like, they couldn't hear you you would be right there and it was like they would look like right through you like you're a piece of glass it wasn't and so much like I, a, stuck, a, I think parents and, and teachers often see that as like a willful defiance and it's literally a tuning out it, it, it i right. think you used a very important word there can't they couldn't until you had to right. break it like i remember one time when i was a kid i stayed up really late one night with some friends and i passed out of sleep in an accounting class, and the teacher slammed his hand down on the desk after he said my name three times. And when I was I was dreaming while I was sleeping, and I was like drooling on my desk, and I was dreaming <laughs> that I was like trying to open some kind of a box or something out in the middle of a field, and I oh, could wow. hear him yelling my name in my dream, but it sounded like he was a thousand miles away, right? Like, and I didn't want to be disturbed. I want I was since I was in a sleep state in a REM sleep because you're dreaming. I wanted to know, right. and this box wouldn't open. And it was frustrating. I could hear like the jack, like a like like your parents yelling from you from across the holler, you know. And then finally, right. he slammed the desk, and the box exploded in my dream. And of course, I woke up and looked like an ass in the middle of the class and all my friends. Uh huh. But to me, when I when my grandson does this, and I, that, when that happens, the tablet goes away. It's gone for the rest of the day when that happens. That's the yep. same phenomenon I see. They are so compelled into this machine. That it is literally like being in a dream state. So when you yell at somebody who's asleep and they don't, they just don't wake up, you don't get angry. Mm -hmm. You don't say like they did it to defy you. You say, I didn't break, I wasn't loud enough, or I didn't move them enough. I didn't, you know, you, mm -hmm. you roll them around, you poke them, and you wake them up. And right. it's very scary when I think about it that way that, okay, so this person is actually fully awake and in that same state. When you watch a kid, even even if they're just watching TV and they have that really glassy look, their mouth is hanging open, their tongue's kind of half hanging out of their mouth, like it's kind of like a 7-Eleven, like the lights are on, but there's no business happening. You know, it's it's one of those things where we as parents, we almost have to have a little bit of grace in this when we're trying to understand. We think, like you said, our child's being, you know, very defiant when we're trying to get their attention. Well, there's a different cognitive vibration happening when they're consuming that. And for us to break it, like where we can get just steaming mad, we, we got to understand that when we try to pull that attention away from it, and of course there's going to be resistance. So you need to turn off a device. I mean, you've seen the YouTube videos of those kids just flipping when dad throws the, the game controller under the mower deck and just, shreds it. you know, <laughs> It's I haven't seen like, that one, but I've seen similar similar ones, you know. Man, they have such a close relationship. It's just like you mowed over their puppy dog, you know. Like they were they were willing to go to lengths to keep that in their life 
than what they would their own parents or their own siblings. It's like, okay, well, that is a, a great uh, reflection of a, re- a very unhealthy relationship with technology. I'm wondering so, how the generational difference is because, like, when you were talking about the time you came up, you came up a little bit after me, right? Right. Like, like 15 years almost as a, as a teenager. And it was two very different times. Like, as a, even a preteen, there were computers. They were right. like Commodore 64s and then, hey, the Commodore 128D. And I was kind of the kid that's like from a classic 80s movie with the computers and your friends and, you, we were geeks. We were kind of like the cool geeks that got along with everybody type thing. And the difference was the devices of the day did not really pay off for you to use alone. Right. There, there weren't GUIs and Ajax and, 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 and videos and stuff. So, like, almost anybody that messed around with computers, there'd be four or five kids fighting for the keyboard and, hey, try this and try that. And, like, one of the, one of the things I remember we did is – we wanted to play games. I mean, that was the main thing you do with computers, like, I guess, still today. And so we found this program out of the UK for Commodore called Nibbler that let you copy games. So once one kid had a game, you could make 100 copies of it. It was like the Napster of the day. Oh, but okay. the only thing you couldn't do with Nibbler was make a copy of Nibbler. So we hmm. went on this quest, and it took us like a month, but we figured out how to nibble Nibbler so that we could make copies of Nibbler. And, like, that was more like a a project, and it was collaborative, and it was with people that were right here next to you. Yeah. So then you come up in a little bit later where it's a little bit more one-off. All of a sudden, you've got mail, and you can get on a chat board and uh, the old-school forum type situation and have all these conversations with people all over the world, which in some ways is very freeing because all of a sudden I can find people that think like me. And I can discuss yeah. things with a real person even though they're not here. But by the time this current generation has come up with technology, instead of technology being a way to get things done or, you know, for like my generation, we grew up with technology. When I say grew up, I'm talking about adult growth, right? Our 20s, our 30s, our prime years of work. Technology was how we got our jobs done, right? Yeah. Kids are coming up with technology, again, as something that's more like a servant and a substitute. And it seems like there's three very different groups of techno users today because people older than me are kind of like, eh, eh, you know, they went through their prime years. If they did use computers, we're talking about the big giant mainframe IBMs or whatever, and they probably still hate them. And and it's, it's just interesting to me how different the viewpoint of technology is and how a person from my generation uses modern technology versus a kid. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we can learn anything from that about how to parent with technology. I think what's interesting right now is like your generation and I was I'm a little bit younger than you is our two generations we're now in parent and yours is kind of in the beginning of grandparent stage and like so when we grew up in the beginning stages of this we're really the first two generations that are teaching our children and grandchildren to kind of almost use technology the same way you would a gun like you need to be very careful and intentional mm-hmm. about how you use this thing and how it plays a role in your life. Like none of us are just, well, unless we didn't really get or have a problem with it or understand there's a problem, we aren't just letting our children mindlessly consume technology and throwing a screen in front of them. Well, most of us, the, yeah. probably the, and the, actually maybe that is a correlation. Like the ones that I do notice that are setting up 
the boundaries and parameters for their children are really the same way as the ones that have to teach their kids how to, you know, use a gun or a firearm. Maybe mm-hmm. that is something that, oh my gosh, I need to be very intentional as to how I let my children do this. And I don't want them to see me mindlessly consuming it. I don't want to be, you know, having an expectation for them that I can't have myself. Uh, I think we're, we're definitely the first two generations to be in that spot to allow us to say, Hey, look, this is a dangerous thing. If you let it be same with the same as a gun, you know, uh, you need, you need to be very careful because this thing can, this thing can kill in a person emotionally and socially what a gun can do physically. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also think that like technology has evolved to the point where our jobs are harder and then on some levels easier. So the problem is a solution. So back when my kid was young, so we're going back 20 years here. I mean, I, I'm sure old man now. Um, you say beginning grandfather stage. I'm, I got an eight year old grandson. Uh, but like my, actually he's nine now. Holy crap. Anyway, so my, uh, my son, I would say at X time, all the devices are done for the day. And mm-hmm. all I would do at that time is change the password on the router. That way if I needed it for work or something, I had a report due or something, I could still do it, but I just shut it off. Well, today all the devices are wireless and you're on a cellular network. What we do with our grandkids is we agree, like, this is how much time you can have a day to use your device. I don't care when you use it and how you use it. I don't care. You do anything you want. But the device itself knows the time limit has been reached and shuts itself off. It won't work. I actually would have to kind of back end go around to even turn it back on. Like it's, it, sorry, but I got to do schoolwork. You should have done schoolwork with your time. And so yeah. I think we can put limits that, and then am I the bad guy? No, <laughs> I didn't do it. Right? right. We all agreed on a time limit. The device is the bad guy. I'm sorry. The problem with that is, you know, they'll do what we did with Nibbler. They will eventually right. figure out, or they have a second device, or their friend has a, you know what I mean? Like, but, like, that's at least sure. one thing you can do to, to put a hard limit on, on time. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, where there's, I don't know how many schools have now, but they all, they would always employ that one, uh, teacher as basically the, the tech policeman where he is just constantly fighting the battle of putting up firewalls and keeping kids off of stuff they weren't supposed to be on. Yeah. And I think, and I think if teacher like if we tried to add up all the time that teachers spent saying the words, please put your device away or don't get on that. Please get on your your app for your homework or, you know, just yeah. police time. I think if we had rewound and really tried to be super mindful instead of like, you know, overly encouraging teachers, you have to use this much technology in the classroom. You you get paid. You know, we as a district get more money. Uh, based on how much technology we use and, and how much, you know, things we can, uh, document that we use it, we get more money. So it's, it's definitely incentivized for them to do that. But what I'm seeing now is just, you know, kids are just sitting in the hall playing games. And it's been like that for a while, uh, where they, they might knock it out, but there's a large, they're basically learning because there isn't any discipline with the device. They're basically learning how to let technology be intrusive for the rest of their life. Unless at some point they hit this roadblock where they go, oh, my gosh, I need to discipline myself with this thing. Yeah. It amazes me that there's not just no device time. Like if you have a, like when I was a kid, if you had a freaking 
some kind of game or gimmick in your pocket, and it, it printed on your pocket, it might get taken away. Like, you're pre- hey, what do you got there? Let me see that. Gone, right? You know, like, remember the movie, uh, the Christmas movie with the little Ralphie in it with the BB gun? Mm. Uh, right? Like, when the teacher yeah. takes away the teeth and you open the drawer and it's, like, just full of crap. And, and like, you know, like, there's shattering teeth in there and slinkies and arrow through the head toys and stuff like I, and that's how I grew up. If you had something, there was no, please put that away. There was, oh, give me that. And I, I mean, I guess I'm so divorced from the school system at this point. I guess it's just not that way anymore. Yeah. Well, I've only been out for three years. And I know that, you know, as districts try to evolve and get more, you know, federal funding, it's like it is just a constant race of who can use more technology. That's really you know, what it comes down to, like teachers have massive board meetings to figure out how can we basically not need teachers anymore and just yeah. use technology. It's, it's kind of like the self-checkout analogy, really. It's like teachers are basically lining up to be obsolete. I'm honestly As, not completely opposed to that. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah, well, I'm not, you know. I I think, you know, where I don't know when that was. I listened to your podcast when I decided to leave you know, government education. But one of the things I thought was interesting was, you know, uh, when when teachers are, are crying foul a lot and it, they're they're basically they're almost kind of winding their own noose really for this, because as as the public school scene of education starts to become obsolete and I've I've heard you make several analogies to kind of the timeline of how long this is going to take and this form starts to show its face. I think this is such a great time to talk about the positives of technology, like the platforms that could be out there uh, for, for teachers to understand this direction and to be able to basically find the best people out there at teaching. Like one of my best bluegrass teachers, I learned from him online. Like at that point, my, my computer is, is a tool, not a toy. And he's, he has all of his platforms set up online and it's a subscription base. And oh my gosh, he's so successful at it because he knows he's the best teacher. Everybody goes to him to learn bluegrass. And I think, it, you know, if when teachers finally figure this out, it's going to be too late. They're, they're going to be trying to find another job. See, and there's, see, so I have this love hate relationship. There's so much to be gained and so much to be lost. Like, I sure. get how a child learning how to play a guitar online is beneficial. And mm-hmm. if if that teacher and their curriculum and, you know, maybe they're only directly involved 10% of the time and a lot of it's the work's already been done so the kid is watching a video or something, and you can even – and I can foresee the point where we'll have technology that when that kid plays a chord, the, the computer will hear the chord and give correction. I can see that, and I get that, and I actually mm-hmm. think that's pretty freaking amazing. But, sure. you know, like when you see an, uh, a four-year-old or a five-year-old girl dancing along with TikTok videos, yeah, I want I mean, to say, well, how is that different than the kids used to dance around with Barney or Romper Room? But I sure. also realized that Barney and Romper Room came on and went the hell off, right? right? There was right. a time, like I remember when I was a kid in cartoons, cartoons worked like this on Saturday, if you got your little ass up early enough, you could watch cartoons for a couple hours. And if you got up too late, then you got things to do outside. And even if they were still on, you didn't get to watch them. So, like, mm-hmm. cartoons were something that came on Saturday. You remember that. The Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, right? Like, yeah, cartoons. 
And then, like, after school, maybe cartoons were on for, like, a one- or two-hour window. And you had to watch the crappy ones from Hanna-Barbera with the rabbit ears tilted a certain way and put on UHF. That was it. And there was no more. It's almost like, even in a place where I can give it an analogy, they're dancing to, to, to TikTok instead of, uh, you know, Barney, uh, even if you could filter it so they don't see the things they shouldn't see, it's this on-demand, unlimited, never-goes-away-always-there thing. Yeah. That, that seems like it's the same reason kids are fat. When I was a kid, like I went, I would go. You know, as I got older, I'd go to the gun club with my uncle on the weekends. On 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 Sunday after church, you'd go to the gun club, and they would have a pigeon shoot or something, and all the old men were there. And that was first. First of all, you got young men with old men. That's a good thing. But then, like you know, they would like give me a green spot soda, which is something from the Northeast, you know, and it was like a ten ounce bottle of soda. And I would wait all week to go get that one bottle of soda. And now these kids, and I, I'm not the guy that wants to, like, regulate soda sizes. But when you can have a kid going in and for a dollar getting an 88-ounce soda, you can't be surprised that we have type 2 diabetes in children now. You can't, you can't ignore that and say, gee, where's this problem coming from? And I see technology kind of doing the same invasive thing. And I think it's on some level because parents are just freaking tired. We're all two-income mm -hmm. families. We're all working way more than 40 hours a week. And if the kid shuts up and stops screaming because you let them play with a tablet, it's like, gee, mommy and daddy can breathe for five minutes and have a cup of coffee together. Mm -hmm. And so and the, as soon as you got then that it becomes dependent. Result, you wanted, yeah, you then you become again. dependent on that babysitter, basically. Yep. Yep. That's... That's... Uh rough place to be and i think you, if you go through and kind of track down some of these uh people that are running a fortune 500 company or ceo that have children and you watch how they have set up these boundaries like if you look at the tech giants and their families like they don't let their children have their own cell phone with them all the time they kind of like what you do you know it's like it goes away Uh, there is one computer in a central location that you cannot take with you whenever you want. Mm -hmm. They don't let them take the device with them. Like they don't carry it on themselves. Uh, one, I know Dave Asprey, I listen to him sometimes and he talks about how he constantly keeps his phone on airplane mode. So it doesn't have the ability to bug him and knock his brain off thought, which I thought was, you know, that's really intentional to be like, okay. And, I've, I've gone through like, you know, when I try to discipline myself with food and get myself back in a homeostatic, totally balanced, my blood sugar's back on, I, I, I fast for multiple days. And, and I'll do the same with technology, really, just to get myself back balanced if my discipline gets off. Uh, I think that's one thing that if people would, you know, maybe hold discipline of anything up on a huge platform and then they start to notice, oh my gosh, this thing's controlling me or my food's controlling me or liquor's controlling me or my mouth is, you know, anything like that. Yeah. We've got to learn how to discipline all of those different things or they will consume us. And the thing about it is, is everybody will point to an alcoholic and be like, oh my gosh, you need rehab. But nobody's pointing to is somebody that sits there on their phone all the time is like, dude, you, you need some help. Yeah. There's no help out there for tech junkies. Well, you know, I, what I find interesting saying. is what you're talking about with these tech titans having these extreme limits while they're dealing the technology, right? So right. <laughs> it makes me think of, like, when somebody asks Snoop Dogg, like, if he would let his kids listen to his music, he's like, oh, hell no. You know, as he right. moved into producing, and it, a lot of what he was producing was actually far worse than what he 
personally performed. No, hell no, I wouldn't let them listen. And basically, he was saying, I think you're an idiot if you let your kids listen to music I'm producing. It's not for kids. But he absolutely right. knows he's making most of his money from kids. Oh, yeah. Right? So, so the tech giants, too. Or it's like the, dr it too. the drug dealer who would never, like, the drug dealer who would kill another drug dealer for selling crack to his kid. Like, that's yeah. how th some of these people seem like. Like, they know, or the, the Monsanto executive, this is a true story, Monsanto executive, who bought fractional ownership in cows to give his kids, you know, growth hormone-free milk while he's making the public case that that's perfectly acceptable and the best thing for America. Wow. There's so many. There's a judge that said you can't. You don't have a right that, that, that uh, on a cow share decision said you couldn't do it. But it turned out he owned cows. And then he went to work when he, he quit as a judge. He went to work as a lobbyist for Monsanto. And it just seems like there's a lot of that going on. Like the, the very people purveying all of these different technologies understand. In some cases, the technologies we're talking about today mostly are probably pretty useful if controlled, like a gun. And then you have things right. like, no, we don't really need to be putting growth hormone into milk. That's probably not good for our kids. Right. The thing about it is, is like nobody's really viewing most of these things with that, you know, high dose of skepticism where it's just like, okay, well, what's the person who made this doing with it? Like, how are they, how are they behaving? We're not asking ourselves those questions. Kind of like, you know, with the GMO argument, like, okay, well, what is the person who made this actually think? Are they eating this? And most of the time, like you just said, no. Mm -hmm. uh, I think <laughs> where we just we just we almost have this blind trust that people have our best interest in mind. And I, I made a video on my YouTube channel several years ago. It's called Blind Trust is Killing Us All, where it, it, if we don't be very intentional about asking ourselves these questions, eventually all this all this stuff that's coming at us to consume, because we're a very, very consumerist society. We're going to get rocked by something down the road if we're not intentional with asking these very mindful questions. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, actually, one of the guys that turned me on, uh, Curtis Stone, our mutual buddy, was talking about an interview of that uh, European psychologist Gabor Mate, and he was talking about uh, children that basically grow up being parented by technology. And like, you know how people have the, you know, they'll put on the, the hat that homeschool kids are weird. Okay. Homeschool kids aren't weird. Kids that grow up being parented by a device are really freaking weird. Hmm. Like really weird. I mean, and it can be a public school kid. It can be a rich kid. It can be a poor kid. It can be a homeschool kid. It doesn't matter that part. Right now, it's just basically what type of and relationship do they have with the device and other humans and right now man there's just some that are just getting owned by it it's interesting to me too because like i remember you know i grew up in the 80s so just the heyday of of, of you know the evolution of video games and you went from the atari 2600 to the nintendo and stuff like that and i remember sitting around very clearly playing video games with my friends and i always remember getting to a point hey you want to go do something else right mm -hmm. like you know and nobody said, you know, once you're a teenager, you're probably doing off something you shouldn't do, like drinking beer in the woods, but you weren't playing video games. Like, there was a time right. and a place for that, and there was a, like, it wore you to a point where, like, okay, I got I got what I can get from this, and now I want to go do something else. And it seems like 
the modern technology is so interactive that a person can lose themselves in it. And, you know, I watch sci-fi stuff like Star Trek and all, and I see, you know, allusions to, like, a person could lose themselves in a holodeck. And, and, you know, you look at that and compare that to, like, what's coming with virtual reality, you can see where people might almost live their lives. If you could put a feeding tube on them, why would I ever leave this magical world where everything's the way that I want it to be? And that's that should scare the shit out of people, because then who's going to cure the next disease? Right? Right. You know, who's going to handle the next hurricane? Because the shit that goes on in the world is going to go on in the world whether you take part in it or not. Mm-hmm. And if you don't parent your kids, technology will gladly do it. And when we have parents that are my age that are playing video games at night. Oh, my God. With a, with that, like, man, there are several things that just make my blood boil. And that's that's one of them. Like. Whereas, oh my gosh, you are passing up such an opportunity here and you're trying, your kids just wants you to read a book before you go to bed and you just want to play whatever those Minecraft or whatever the. And, and people get <laughs> mad at me when I, when I say something about, you know, if you're playing video games in your thirties, you really should have stopped 10 years ago and you know, it's okay. It's a release or whatever. And it's like, I, I honestly, even if I try to understand, I can't like, there's yeah. a lot of things I did when I was 14 that I just don't do now. Because they're for yeah. fourteen year olds, and yeah. two guys in their late twenties, early thirties, sitting around, kicking back and drinking beer and playing Fortnite or whatever the hell it's called, I, I do not understand. It's not even a place of judgment where I say you're wrong. I literally do not comprehend how you can be doing that at all at your age. And part of it, I think, is I I did a live video on Facebook yesterday that seems unrelated, but maybe it's not, about how one of the big problems we have with our males in society is they don't spend enough time with older males anymore. Yeah. And what happened with the elephants in Africa, where when they cropped out the elephants, they kind of took the same sort of thing that we do, that, you know, women and children are to be saved if as much as possible. So the first thing they did was kill all the older males. Well, 10 years into this experiment, you know, teenage elephants, which are basically adult elephants that haven't developed their brains yet, just like humans, because elephants live about the same amount of time as humans. They have a very similar growth rate, started going into villages and, like, slaughtering natives, like picking people up with their trunk and, like, slamming them on the ground like a rag doll. And everybody's like, what the F is going on? Because elephants and humans had coexisted with problems for tens of thousands of years, but nothing like this had ever happened. And they had these rampaging gangs of young males. Does that sound familiar? Dude. And and as soon as they let the population come back and the older males started having their annual bachelor herds again, where the males took the kids and left and then came Mm -hmm. back to the herd, all the shit stopped. But the key was the age of the elephants before they they filled the patriarch role got older and older. Wow. And it took a whole generation for the number to come back down to where kind of old bull wasn't necessarily old man bull. It was like, you know, a, a bull in his 20s was part of this cadre smacking the young kid around a little bit. Hey, we don't go we don't go destroy natives because then they come spear us like we don't do that. That's not how we conduct ourselves. But when but the first generation of old bulls didn't start acting like adults until they were almost 40. Hmm. Now, if, wow. if that doesn't scare the piss out of you, check your pulse, put your device down, whatever, you know, like, 
you really right. need to think about like that is because I said yesterday in my video, I'm a big game hunter. I, 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 I have this dream someday of going to Africa and hunting some of the big game. I will never take the life of an elephant because they're too close to humans. And boy, when you have something that close to humanity and we've already done that experiment over there, you might want to pay attention to it and learn from it because if I think of roving gangs of, of adolescents and that age getting older and older before they kind of wake up and go, Hey, we need to not be doing this. I see a parallel that is, is, is almost too perfect. Jack, that's probably, I don't know. I'm going to go back and re-listen to that analogy again and again to go let that distill in my mind. But here, I, I want to take that and kind of connect where we're at right now. So, like, when my great-grandparents were in, it was still like a three-generational home. So you still had mm -hmm. your grandparents in the home, you know? And then, you know, along came the assisted living. So now you don't have that immediate connection. And... You know, my grandpa and grandma, I still have all four of them living, are, are uh, not – I did not grow up with them in my house, but I had a very, very, very close relationship with them. And then now that technology is in there, kids have absolutely no desire or curiosity or want to go to that generation seeking knowledge. And I think, man, back to the analogy you just made, it's like, well, there's a, there's a part of us that – aren't headed that way, but there's an even larger part that are. Mm. That's, that's where I'm getting concerned. Yeah. And if you look at like, and, and they have their own reasons and their own foot shooting going on, but organizations similar to like Boy Scouts of America are in massive decline. Mm -hmm. Right now, not that, like I said, Boy Scouts of America has done some really dumb things that have not helped, but part of it is just a trend. You know, like yeah. COVID killing the dying, like certain trends are killing certain things. And like, the concept of like 10 guys getting together with 20 young kids and going out and teaching them how to camp and use a knife and fish, it just isn't really the thing that it used to be. I'm not saying nobody does it. You know, I try to do that with my grandson. I try to spend time with him every day that he's over here outside doing things, teaching him right. things, right? That's the thing is doing things, not, <laughs> you know, like you can, if you sit there and consume like TV with them, we're Dude, still not doing, the doing same thing. things. Right. Yeah. His other grandparents, his grandfather sits around and plays video games with him. Yikes. You know, and that, it's like, I hate that. But I also, like, I'm a little older and we have things to get done. And, you know, I we kind of share that grandparent role because they want to see them too. And, and part of me is just like, man, just let them stay here, you know. Because even if I'm working, it's like we have this whole outdoors to explore. And there's a point, like, well, I, I, my thing shut off. What do I do now? Go outside. Yep. And next thing I know, he's outside fighting a tree with a stick or something. Like, okay, now the mind is engaged, you know? Uh-huh. Absolutely. He, he's holding a knight sword in his hand, and, and there's a monster in front of him. And he in has the to, mind of that kid. It's not, a, it's not a holodeck. He has to make that happen. Right. In the holodeck that's, that is his what, brain. And that's that causing synapses to form that will not form if he doesn't do that. Those synapses, and there's a point... This is the big danger to me. There is a point where we lose the ability to rapidly form new synapses in our brain. That's why kids learn so much faster than adults. There's a because and it's just, it's supposed to be that way. We were designed that way. We bioelectrically, mechanically, we are designed to function like that so that we can accelerate our learning before we become adults. That's how we're yeah. supposed to be. And so that window. It's about to the age of about 21 to 25 at the eldest. 
when it closes, it's done. It doesn't mean you can't learn new done. things, but you will never be able to do it the way you did when you were 16. And, we're, yeah, we're just signing that precious time. <laughs> it's gone, man. In fact, think about it. This is why when you have a phenom, uh, you know, a kid with an IQ of 180 that's a physicist or something, and they're doing amazing uh -huh. work by 16, you're always like, well, imagine what this kid will be doing at 40, and they're still a genius, but they don't. It's not like, holy crap, they're twice as good now. No, they plateau. Right. They, and yep. they might build on their own work or build on other people's work and still do amazing things. But they, the, the, the expectation is, my God, can you see where this kid will be at 30? Probably about two years ahead of where he is right now. Mm -hmm. Because that is good. That we can't let that window close on our kids without giving them the exposure they need to develop those things. The biggest thing that, you know, kids that on that age where they are extremely moldable and malleable is like if, if, if nothing else, at nothing else, and I try to encourage homeschool parents with this too, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's not so much worry about the subjects and in the subject matter. Why don't you just worry about teaching your kid how to discipline themselves mm -hmm. with that age time so that when they do hit that plateau and they hit a, a point or a, a subject, something that they can't do, something that's put before them that is a huge challenge, they at least have the discipline to tackle it. Now, I know a lot of kids that get homeschooled uh, they don't have, they may have a lot of subject matter, but when you put some in front of them sometimes that they can't do, public school kids are actually a lot worse at this. They'll just shut down. They won't even try because they don't have the discipline to push themselves beyond, you know, that place that's uncomfortable trying to get something tackled or figured out. They, you know, that's where they just run back to the device and see if the device can do it. Yeah. And yeah. Time wasted. I think one of the things that you, you have to convey as an educator, whether it's as a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, whatever, is the why of the thing. Because mm -hmm. I was a really smart kid. I had teachers tell me, I think you're smarter than me. Why won't you? And I was thinking, you just answered your own question. Because that's how arrogant you are when you're like 12 and a teacher says something like that to you. Which, <laughs> even if it's true, you don't say it, right? Don't tell right. the kid that because now you've, you've actually confirmed what I suspected, right? So... The way you got me to do something was for me to want to do it. So yeah. if you're trying to tell yeah. me that I'm going to use this mathematical formula that I absolutely know I'm not going to, like I've snapped to the fact that I'm not going to do this. I'm never going to need this. Then getting me to do that is all but impossible. So you have two things then. You either lie your way into convincing them that they are going to use it and they do need to know it. You convince them that the challenge alone is worthy enough of doing it, or you give them something else that's worthy of doing. Mm -hmm. And I think the third one is often the right answer, because that kid may not want to learn advanced calculus, and they may, let's be honest, do you use advanced calculus on a daily basis? No, sir. No. And you're not going to, and when you tell Johnny he is, you damn well know you're lying, and there's a point where Johnny gets smart enough to know he knows that you know that you know that you're lying, right? If you can follow that circle. Uh, Dude. And so well there's done. a point where we have got to say, okay, Johnny, if you are not going to learn advanced calculus, we need to figure out what Johnny wants to do with his life and what you do need to know how to, to do to get what you want. And there is absolutely zero flexibility to do that in our education system. And there's a 100% yeah. flexibility for you to do that in your home. Absolutely, yeah. We talked at that at great length in our last podcast. That's, yeah, huge. Yeah. So what is, like, I, I know you say in your notes here, you have a, tech, a, a household technology manifesto. 
Okay, Mr. Kaczynski, what does your manifesto say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, when my wife and I really started to kind of notice some things between uh, us and our children and us and each other in our marriage, we just really wanted to be a lot more intentional as to how we ran our household and, and how we wanted technology to serve us in our daily relationships. And so we, we just kind of started to make some, some boundaries and rules, uh, for her and I, for each other, that first and foremost, we wanted to be, we wanted to honor those before we expected them out of our children. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, I mean, if you're going to try a hierarchy, anything, don't expect anything out of your kids that you can't expect out of your spouse first, you know? Uh, so we wrote down like where technology can and can't go, you know, in the bedroom or, or, uh, at the dinner table or places where we needed to be very face to face and direct, uh, times out in public. Uh, like if you're talking to somebody, it stays in your pocket. And I, man, I've been so guilty of this. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I wanted the chance to discipline myself to it because I, I really saw the shortcomings in myself and I just didn't want that for my kids. I saw how intrusive and dangerous it was. You know, and I have a pretty addictive personality by nature and anything that has consumed me, you know, tobacco, alcohol, anything like that. I've had to discipline myself and it's been hard, ugly work. And I think technology is kind of one of those things that doesn't seem to be, you know, bad or sinful. Like, oh, it's not drugs and alcohol. It's just a, a device. We can we just write it off. And that's really where the worst problem of trying to convince people uh, to be this direct, to write a manifesto for their household men, like write, write your rules on the wall, men for your family, you know, and just be, you know, super, uh, strict about how you do that. And as my wife and I go down this road together, we really find that, you know, as, uh, I think it's Jeff Lawton who you said, like the more restrictions on the design, the more eloquent the design is. Yeah. Like, you know, the more restrictions we put upon this, the the more eloquent our our family relationship becomes. And and I've never backpedaled and go, man, I wish I wasn't more strict and disciplined with my technology. I've never said that to myself ever, not once. And that was that was kind of what made us do that. And everybody can kind of you know make your own rules, open your own eyes and make your own. Everybody should make their own decisions as to. What are you okay with and what are you not okay with? Write it down and say it in front of your kids and your wife or your husband or whatever. And, and just for men out there, I, I love the suggestion for you guys. Be collaborative with this. Like you could take the leadership role of writing this down and all, but discuss it. Don't just arbitrarily. If you arbitrarily come up with rules for your house, expect it to blow up in your face no matter how right you are. You might actually find mm -hmm. that if you participate with your wife, she's tired of your shit. And how often you're on your screen, and you might propose a number, and she might lower it. If right. you come up with a number on your own, and you do not seek input, whatever number you pick will be wrong, and it will be too low. Well done. I mean, it. I bet you. I bet you. And if you're dumb enough to do it, go out and try it and see if I'm right. I'll bet you five bucks. <laughs> I'll, I, yeah. I'll spot your bet, man. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, um, what limits did you personally set for yourself and what have you? What does this actually look like on like some timelines and things like that? Sure. So like every month 
uh, I try to at least do a one to two, sometimes three day tech fast. Uh, Facebook, uh, I've really tried, like I like to post and put up, you know, inspirational pictures and stuff of my kids. Uh, while my kids are awake, um, I really don't want to be seen with that device, no matter how, uh, intentional it may seem, they don't perceive it as that. So, while we're doing homework, that phone stays off on the counter. I'll, I'll put it on airplane mode. If somebody calls, they can wait. Like I almost have office hours on my cell phone, if you will. Unless my wife calls. That's kind of the one exception. Uh, I just really try not to make exceptions because as soon as you do that, you just <laughs> it'll just creep back in. I, I mean, that's really how direct we've got to be with this, uh, not making a lot of exceptions with it. With my kids, um, we have a way for them to uh, connect with their cousins on that, and they get about 20 minutes a day uh, if anybody sends them a message. If they want to connect with them, I'm still making them write a letter and put it in the mailbox for right now because I want them to learn how to do it the hard way first mm. uh, before they just run to the device. I want it to be sort of inconvenient and very direct and intentional and have to go through the hoops, run all the way out to the mailbox and wait and be patient and wait for the reply. Not like type it out, hit send, and then sit there at the device and stare at it and wait for, you know, I, I want that time to wait. That's very important. That's an um, interesting thought. I mean, what it makes me think of is like, and you're a bit younger, so you may not really, because some real innovations had happened by the time you were a kid. But when I was a kid, if grandma, who lived in another state, called long distance, you put everything if anybody called long distance, it was a quarter a minute. Yeah. The world yeah. ceased. And that person yep. who was paying that quarter a minute, their attention demanded, even when mom was talking, you sat there and waited for your turn. You didn't go nowhere. Right? Like, yeah. like that was a big deal. And now who the hell cares? And uh, yeah. isn't, isn't that good? Isn't it great that I can have Jeff Lawton on the air with me from Australia for zero dollars? Yeah. Right? Isn't it crazy you're in, I guess, Kansas, and I'm sitting in Texas, and there's no bill to do right. this? But what do we what do we lose? Like, everything you gain, you lose something. You have to be mindful of it. Right. With every convenience comes compromise. Always. Always. And, yeah, actually, now that you say that, it's like, well, what do we have in our lives today? Kind of like that long-distance call that makes us literally drop everything. It's like, well, nothing, really. I mean... It, it almost just it, it's added sort of a fakeness. The convenience has added sort of a fakeness to the human experience, I think, where it's just like, meh, I can get a hold of you whenever I want. I don't really care anymore. I think yeah. my generation might have been the last one to really have it. And that's yeah, why we're we're just weird. The boomers think we're weird because we saw the bridge and everybody after us thinks we're weird because we saw the bridge and you weren't on. You <laughs> never saw the bridge like. So what I, what I think of is like an experience that no child will have in America anyway, probably ever in their life. When I was a little kid one time, uh, my grandmother worked at a diner and I would spend weekends with her. And sometimes my dad or my mom would drop me off at the diner and I'd be there for like the last 30 minutes of her shift and I'd go home with her. And one day I'm in there and I was probably seven-ish, eight-ish, I don't remember, but somewhere in that age. But there was like, you know, it was, it's old style diner with the thing with the pie goes in circles, you know. You want a piece of pie? Yeah. Apple? Yeah. Sure. You want it hot? Okay. And I know it's ice cold coming out of that thing, right? Like, okay. So then she goes, 
back, sticks it in his box and brings it back to me. And it's like 30 seconds and it's like, be careful. And you go to bite it, it's steaming hot. It'll burn the roof of your mouth. Well, that was a microwave. You know what I thought? Wow. Wow. Oh my God. How did this happen? It's gone. No one's impressed by crap anymore. We just had a person put into a space station by a rocket made by a private company, and the rocket landed itself with no pilot on a ship with no captain, and my generation's going, holy shit, look at this! And everybody else is like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's gone. It's like when we land on Mars, if I'm still alive, I'll be like, oh, my God! And my grandson's going to be like, it's about time. And (laughs) that's why I call it the microwave generation. Like, everything after the microwave is expected to be instant. There's, There's no patience... At all, no. you know, and You've I think some of these kids need to take up bow hunting. You stand your ass in a tree for seven days in a row on a little platform waiting to kill a deer, you'll learn patience. You've got to cultivate that if you want. If that is something that we feel passionate about like you and I do, we have to be intentional cultivating that. Like, okay, write the letter. Okay, go stand and hunt a deer and stand there and wait and learn how to be patient. It's not something that's going to be handed to you, you know. That's that's huge, man. Well, yeah. Yeah, I have a friend that's really big on thank you notes, and he makes his kid write thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes for everything. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not necessary. Goes, he awesome. needs to write something. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it now. I get it. Right? Like, I'm like, I don't need like if, like if he comes over and I have him rake some leaves and I give him five bucks and it was really a dollar job. I don't need a thank you note. He's like, he needs to write something. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I I follow. I get it. You know. I and and I and I. You know, I try to, one of my laws of life is you spend your time with people who you want to be a little more like in some way. And Mm -hmm. so when I see a person do something that makes sense and it's, I'm not that way, I might not completely adopt it, but I try to, whenever I'm then in a, in a situation where I have a choice and I Mm -hmm. think this person's stronger than me in this area, and I don't mean physically strong, I mean like they just have a better, a better way that they handle situations like this. Yep. Simply saying, what would you know? What would David do, or what would what would Michael do? Tends to make me a better man. Absolutely. Even if I don't steel choose to do steel. what they would do, the fact that I'm mindful of it, like I don't take a genuine interest in people. I'll be honest with you. When I meet somebody, like unless I'll build a relationship and then I'll take an interest in you. And mm-hmm. I have another friend who you you know you, he'll meet twenty people in one hour, and he can tell you four very personal things about every one of them. And yeah. it's not because he took a course from Del Carnegie. It's because that's who he is. And the fact sure. that he does that makes me – the fact that he does that and I witness that makes me go, I wish I could do that. And I'm not going to do it. But I might know one thing about three of those people that I would have known zero. Sure. And so we need to understand that that's something we need to do for ourselves. We need to model that behavior. But what you better understand is a male with young males around you, whatever you do, they want to do too. Whether Absolutely. it's good or bad. Whatever you do, they want to be like you. And I don't think, and I, I, wish, think I, I think we don't, we don't respect ourselves enough to understand that. Like we forget that when we were eight, we saw our grandpa go tear a beehive apart. We're like, I want to tear a beehive apart. Right? <laughs> like we forget that we were like that. So we think like, I can't, and we also, even if we remember that, we're like, I can't possibly be as cool as my grandfather. You actually might be more cool. And that's good. And it's freaking dangerous. Cause if you're doing stupid shit, 
don't be surprised when the young males around you, and females too, but that male-to-male dynamic, man, it is almost a, imagine you had puppet strings. It's like you have imaginary puppet strings, and what you're doing, that kid's behind you doing it. And it, it, it's, it's something you really got to be mindful of as well. So if you're on your shit all the time, even if you're doing something productive, all they see is that you're on a tablet. Yep, they don't, they don't grasp it. They don't grasp and I think yeah. you hear that from so many parents that are like, oh, they don't listen. They don't care. Well, it's like, well, would they if they saw you out doing cool stuff that you like to do? Like, have you taken them out and let you watch, let them watch you do that where you get the chance to be a master? You know, part of being a master is when somebody watches you, they want to do it, too, because they see how easy it appears. And I, I've heard you talk about this. Mm-hmm. Too. It's like, well. I see that person doing it, and they make it look so easy. I want to do it, too. Well, we as dads, we all have our own list of things that we are like that on, and that's where – I mean, that is that is the breeding ground for where we get our children to want to follow us and not other children as their source of hierarchy, if that makes sense. Like mm. the public school for the first time in world history – basically was the place where children had to look up to other children as their source for hierarchy instead Mm -hmm. of their parents. Like it's never been like this in the world before. And where we as dads don't do that stuff that our kids go, damn, that was, uh, did you see what my dad just did? Yeah. We don't do that anymore. My dad just threw a baseball through a wall. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. 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 We I mean, used to have. I remember having fights as a kid. My dad can do this. Well, my dad can do that. My dad can right. do this, right? Like, you know, like, what can my dad do that your dad can't do? And you thought your dad could do anything? Yeah. You know, I don't, you don't. My dad could pick up a car. <laughs> Didn't say what kind. Right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I was, I was, a, I was a little bastard kid like that. I would do things like I would bet that my dad could pick up a car. And I get like my buddy to bet me like a dollar. My dad could pick up a car. So we go home to my house. My dad's gonna pick up a car. I go in my room and get a matchbox car. I go, Dad, can you pick this up? And he picks it up. Oh, and yeah. the kid, the kid's just like, Oh man! Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotcha. You want fifty cents of your dollar back? Yeah. Don't tell Tommy how this works. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so I get a dollar from him, and we'll split it. You know. But like, see, like just being conniving like that, actually, because it's a harmless conniving thing, right? Like. Kids don't do that anymore because they're, they're so wrapped up yeah. in their stuff. And, like, you get out and show them how to do that. I did it with my grandson. I told him I could put a quarter on the ground. He couldn't jump over it. And if he could, I'd give him a dollar. Right? So he's thinking because he already knows. Like, if Grandpa says he bets you, you probably shouldn't take his bet. But, like, there's a point where the kid's like, well, all I'm going to lose is not getting a dollar, which I don't have. So he had to figure that out for himself. There was no loss in the bet, Right? So then, you know, like, so you're saying, how the hell do you do this? You put the quarter in a corner. <laughs> and, and then the kid's like, oh, shit. But then, like, the kid's thinking, like, well, how can I do this? See, because I said they want to do whatever you want to do. So, like, how do I use my brain to create these scenarios? You know, because uh-huh. that's that's what I'm trying to teach is how to use the brain. And that way the technology is a tool. Like, it give you a knife. If you go stab somebody with it, it's a bad use of the technology. If you go carve something with it, it's a good use of the technology. I'm not going to not give yeah. you a knife. I'm going to teach you how to use it right. Right. So yeah. how have your family relationships changed when you limited technology? Did that Was that good for your family relationships? Uh, absolutely. And the first thing that it changed was my marriage. 
not that it was by any means bad, uh, but my wife and I really experienced, you know, a more deeper, meaningful connection with each other when we weren't just consuming whatever was put before us by the device. Like we had to be choosing each other mindfully, being intentional about asking her how her day was as much as us dudes are like, we were, you know, deep down, we pretty much don't care, but it's more about, you know, showing our gratitude to the other person. And she started, you know, I heard a great quote. It's like where, you know, in a, in a marriage, the one who sees himself as more mature in the relationship will always act first. So it's like, well, the changes that I would get mad that she wouldn't do, I really wanted to be the first one to be intentional about making those changes down the road so that eventually she would go, okay, I, I see what he's doing. Okay. <laughs> I'm into, you know, and she would, after a while, she, she started doing the same thing to me. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it now. And it really caused a lot of, inward reflection and then as soon as her and i really started to become on the same page at watching each other our children started to do the same thing like my son has been so incredible at showing gratitude to my wife and i for things we do around the house for him and then all of his brothers and sisters started doing the same thing and it was really where we because we didn't have the screen in front of us all the time taking us off of not being aware of what each other was doing it started to make us super intentional at just appreciating each other more. And I always remember this quote when I was teaching, like those who feel appreciated always do more than what is expected. And when my kids are out busting their ass in the morning, like, oh, my God, I did not expect them to be out here at 6 a.m. doing, you know, helping me milk the cow. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So I want to go up and show my gut. And then you just start this reciprocating ball. Once you get that ball rolling in the direction and, you you know, sure, you're going to hit bumps and hiccups in here and your kids just really start to kick ass all because of a decision you made of, of how to limit the technology in your life. And you're getting more done on your homestead and your farmstead. I mean, it is really cool. And it happens pretty fast. You know, the kind of like the the more restrictions, the more eloquent the design. Like if you really get intentional about those restrictions, like it, it, you get a lot of shit done really fast. You, know, you bring up something good, though, like. You should, if you're going to make these changes, accept the fact that it's not going to immediately work. Like there's going to be resistance sure. to change. There is all change is growth, and all growth is painful. And the, the yep. only thing is how painful, and how much growth you get in return for the pain. So I remember I can't remember the guy's name, but it's a rabbi, and he was talking about, and the way he explained, it, he said if if human beings were lobsters and we handled pain the same way that we do, we would never grow. That a lobster will grow to a certain size and it will get very uncomfortable. And then eventually it will have to actually shed its shell and go for a point of being very vulnerable where other lobsters can kill it because it doesn't have a hard shell. And when that new shell hardens, it will be a bigger lobster. And if lobsters mm. were humans, they would go to the doctor and say this hurts. And the doctor would give them a pill to prevent them from having to molt. And all you would have is tiny little lobsters the size of crayfish. Wow. And I, 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 there's not a lot that when a guy says it, like, I could tell you that story a hundred times ten years later, but that one was like, That's... wow, right in the gut. I get that. So, like, if you're going to do this, even if you do what I said, and you really should, and get consensus about it, you're still going to have, well, I want, remember, we said. And I think one of the ways to get past that is, okay, well, how long does it take for the shell to get hard? Right? And, and generally, I think that takes about two weeks. Like, yeah. when I went keto... It took me about two weeks running around the house at night, opening the cabinets going, I want to eat a freaking cracker. 
And I want, and having a go, no cracker. I want to pour a freaking Jack Daniels on the rocks. No, like two weeks of pacing around. And then all of a sudden, I didn't give a shit. My body adapted to this new way of eating. And all of a sudden, it was easy. And all of a sudden, when I, here's the technology used, right? We used this app to make sure we weren't eating too much. And when I would be designing my dinner, it got to be fun. How much Mm -hmm. can I, how many different things can I put in there and not exceed my macros and my caloric limit? And all of a sudden, it was a game. And my wife and I were like, who can get closer to to actually eating enough now within the limits? Because now we're doing eloquent design, right? And like, so it took about two weeks. So I think like if you have an agreement, like, look, let's do this for two weeks with no exceptions. And on day 15, if we feel that was a bad decision, we can change it. But we can do, I I can go to, if you give me a million dollars, I'll go to jail for 30 days. Right now, like anybody out there that, uh, please, if you think I'm calling bullshit and you have a million dollars, if you will put it in an account and sign a contract that Jack Spirico goes to jail for 30 days, I will literally go do something that will make them put me in jail for 30 days. And if they try to let me out early, I won't let them do it. I'll like steal somebody's lunch or something. I will absolutely go to jail for 30 days for a million dollars. Right now, I'll do a victimless crime and I will make myself go. Right, I will pay Tarrant County $100,000 to put me in jail and take your $900,000 in profit. So if I can do that, then you can come up with your own rules and follow them for two weeks. I mean, would you go, dude, Matt, would you go to jail for 30 days for a million dollars? Yeah, I would. I would. So so you can put your device down at five o'clock for freaking two weeks, you know, or whatever it is. And you say, especially what if I said you can pick your own jail? Right. Yeah. Like you can figure out, including your neighbor's house, and they just lock you in a bedroom. Right. So you're not going to get shanked or something. Yeah, sure. So I'm asking you to make your own jail and stay in it. And it's a pretty nice jail for 14 days. And you just did it for like three months with this stupid COVID lockdown. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that should have been the number one time for us as parents to just really be super mindful about this type of stuff. But. Here we are. <laughs> so for the two extinct groups of school administrators and teachers, and, and the one hopefully not to be extinct if they don't listen parents, what would you say to those people that are pushing technology at their kids at a young age? Like if I, because I think there's a lot of like, if I don't do this, they'll fall behind, you know? Like my nephew's yeah. like, I got my girl's phones because they were like literally all their friends had phones and I didn't believe it and then it, yeah. they did and I then they're the only one that doesn't have a phone and you, you see what I mean like how do you sure. how do you balance that yeah I think as the same way as teachers and I, I would call the other teachers and administrators out when I was teaching school I was like why why do you feel this need to do this is it is it pressure because all the other schools are doing it because that's not a good enough reason to justify it who is benefiting? And, it, you know, in the school's case, it's the school because it's not the kid because the decision isn't being made with an extremely mindful justification that is going to advance the kids and they don't have the proper, you know, benchmarks in place and parameters and restrictions to justify that move. Uh, and for parents, it's just like you said, it's well, because my my kids friends all they all have phones and their parents, you know, basically weren't <laughs> uh, restrictive and talk to their kids about, hey, listen, because uh, I've already talked to, you know, my two oldest daughters about this. I was like, listen, when you start to get older, all your other friends are going to have stuff. And it's not that because your mom and I can't 
or don't want to get that for you. But here's why you're not going to get it. And before they already come of that age and before we have to cross that bridge, they already know, you know, the mental battle that they're already going to have to fight because they already know that their friends are, you know, going to have cell phones and they're not. And they've already started to become okay with it because, and I, you know, they'll come home from, from gatherings or stuff. And I'm like, how many of your friends were on a device tonight? And they're like, all of them. It's like, how defeating was that? How did you feel like, are they still your friends? Like, did you connect with anybody? She's like, no. <laughs> it's hmm. like, okay. Do you see why? Because like you said, explain the why. Because if you just said, well, no, we're not going to do it. Well, you're going to fight and fight and fight. But it's almost like the the Robin analogy from Batman. Like if you tell them what's going to happen before it happens, it's less, you know, intrusive to their ego and it's not quite as hard. So if, if you're a parent and you, you know, you just want to end up giving in and handing over the cell phone, why don't you try first, you know, telling them what's going to happen before you get there. And if your wife and you decide, you know, you, you, you want to really not fight this battle, well, tell them what's going to happen before you get there. And then you don't have to, you just have to remind them, look, this is why. We do this. And then when they see it play out before their eyes, they're like, damn, dad, that was smart. Well done. <laughs> you know, I, I would add to it, like, come up with just come up with other things to do. The, the sure. easiest way that I can get my grandson to not want to use uh, an iPad or something is to get him doing something else. Because you literally mm-hmm. cannot learn to use a nail gun. You can use a computer to, to, to learn to use a nail gun. But you can't use a nail gun while using a computer. Like, there is a, there is a clear bifurcation there. And guess what? When you tell an eight-year-old he can shoot a nail through a piece of wood, oh, he wants, oh, I can do what? Right? And when, like, he's yeah. holding it with two hands because it's bigger than him, and you, you're like, bah, 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 bah. and, like, he feels like, oh, this is power. Right? And then he can go tell his friends, I shot a nail. Right. Like they want to, there's like kids want to do these things. And sometimes sure. they've gotten so go back to my dream analogy. So asleep, maybe you have to poke them and say, we're going to go do this. But once you get them doing it, you know, and I mean, there's so much of this that's just basically being smarter than your kid, which you should be able to pull off. I remember like the whole betting thing. Kids love to bet. And like you oh, can yeah. have a bet where they literally lose nothing, but they still want to do it because they won. So I bet my son one time we were on vacation. So we had this vacation we were going to take, and the place we were going literally got like completely coated in ice. And it was like a short weekend or like a three-day vacation, you know. And so we're sitting at the airport, and they're like, we'll send you anywhere. And I'm like naming cities and like can't go there, can't go there, like anywhere. Finally, it's like, Nashville? Yeah, you can go to Nashville. Like, okay, well, we're not going to stay in Nashville. We're going to drive around Tennessee, mountains and stuff. So we go to Nashville, and we start driving around, and he's just bitching about everything. I mean, every five seconds he's bitching about something. I said, I bet you, you can't not complain until Sunday. And this is like Friday afternoon. <laughs> I just bet you, you can't complain. You can't not complain. You can't do it. It's impossible. What do I get? Five bucks. Now, if I could have paid the kid five bucks to do it, I would have done it. But he would have, like five bucks would have never got it done. But it was a bet. So he do, he does it. He doesn't complain. I, a couple times he even caught us like, eh. So Sunday we have this conversation like, how much fun was this vacation? He goes, it was great. I'm like, really? <laughs> Why? And he kind of snapped it because I, I didn't complain about anything and I had so much fun. And like, so that's just an, like, 
I am not proud of the fact that when I was in my 30s, I was smarter than an eight-year-old. But I do think there's an expectation that you should be, right? So, like, you can give kids, like, it's, you know, the old thing, like, the kid will jump as high as you make the hurdle. And, like, people say, well, but if you make it high enough, they won't get over it. But make it a little higher than you think they can go. And yes. if they knock the hurdle over, they hurt their knee. It's okay. And then low, yep. but that kid will jump. High. I'm talking about a real hurdle here. They will jump higher yeah. if you make it higher. And so, yep. like, then take that, use it as a metaphor now and use it in your life. Like, set these things and let them surprise you. And, like, so one of the things I've often talked to parents about that have problem kids, like, I'm like, you know, you got to use praise because for the like, praise works so much better than punishment. And they're like, yeah, man, I. I wish I could praise them more. Give them shit to do and then praise them for doing it. <laughs> Be smarter than your kid. <laughs> Give them shit to do that you know they can do and then oh, praise man. them for doing it. It's not hard. I, I feel bad for laughing, but yeah. Uh, I, I was going to rewind for a second. You know how we were talking about like having that older generation to connect with, even where – uh, we have neighbors that are retired and they were just massive. Like one's a metal smith and one was, we actually have a leather smith and a blacksmith down the road. Man, I dropped my kids off there and, and I helped him do some work and, and man, they just love to connect with my kids and show them how to do stuff. And it's like, I can now use that as, you know, leverage when I need stuff done here on the farm. It's like, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you go back down to, uh, uh, Blue Hawk's house to go learn how to punch cow leather or tan hides and they're like, yeah. all right, fine, I'll go do it <laughs> just so they can go hang out with an old person yeah. that they can connect and learn from. It's like, well, you, you can't use that same leverage with a device at no. all. I mean, no. my kids want to go hang out with those that have achieved mastery and they know it when they see it because they ask to go back every time. Uh, I think that's huge getting, you know, finding people that you let your kids hang out with, uh, of that retired generation. Cause they really, they honestly want to show your kids stuff. They do. We just don't allow the opportunity anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Well, man, I, I've really appreciated, uh, this is like the second conversation we've had on air and it's been really great. And, uh, agreed wow, an hour and 20 minutes in, uh, again, thank you for, for being with us today, Matt. Jack, thank you, man. I, I really enjoyed it too. Thank you. With that, we have wrapped up another episode of the show. If you enjoyed it and you want to help support us in the work that we do so that we'll always be here for you, consider becoming a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members and you can see how to sign up there. 50 bucks a year comes out to 18 cents an episode. And I'm going to make a commitment to you. If you become a member and you go look at all the discounts and you use the ones that make sense for you, at the end of the year, if you add up all the money you saved, you'll probably say, I saved $150 or $90 or $51 or $74. And whatever the number is, it will be more than $50. At which point you have to ask yourself, why am I not a member already? Just think about that and decide whether or not you want to support our show through that program. The other way to support us... Do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I call it the painless way to support us because you're probably going to buy something online anyway this week, this month, today, next month, whatever. And when you do that, if you just start there, you'll help support us no matter what you buy. Today's item of the day, though, and remember, all of my items of the day are available at tspaz. You can find them in alphabetical order by category. And if it's there, I own it, I bought it, 
I use it, and I would buy it again if it wore out or if it's a you know, consumable, whatever. The only way I'm not buying it again is if it just lasts for damn ever, and I don't need but one of them, and that's what today's item is. Uh, today is the Spiderwire Wolf Tackle Bag. Now, look, I do not have specific loyalty to Spiderwire uh, as a brand of fishing line. Um, I, I don't really have a lot of brand loyalty to anybody in fishing. When I found this bag for my fishing needs, I was working on putting together a kit that I could take and I could put behind the back seat of my truck. And if I was somewhere out of town, hanging out or whatever, and I saw this creek and was like, I want to fish in there, I could get that bag out and I could have everything I needed, including rods and reels, in a bag that fit behind my seat. Um, and not a great big long bag, so I wanted you know telescopic rods and things like that, travel rods. And I looked at dozens of bags for this, including bags that were not fishing bags, that they were just good bags. And in the end, I found this purpose-built bag, and this thing is the best tackle bag I've ever seen. And one of the things I love about it, that it has what you call line minders on both sides. You can keep multiple spools of different test line, And the way it's designed, when you hook up to a reel and you're cranking line onto a reel, you're replacing line, not only do you not get any twist, those reels, the way they, they kind of abut the bag and the tube that's on there and the way it's designed, that reel spins as though someone's holding it for you so it doesn't overspin. And that is incredibly valuable. It's got pockets galore. It's tough as nails. I've had it now for four years. I've hunted, I've, sorry, I've fished all over with it, and it's still like brand new. That's why I haven't bought another one. I don't need to. It's not cheap, but it's not expensive. It's about 50 bucks. It is a buy once, buy once and cry once. In the world of bags, you know, this is why I'm such a fan of like John, John Willis and SOE Tactical Gear. Most bags and packs you buy today are freaking garbage and they wear out rather quickly. And if John Willis would make this bag, I would pay $300 for John Willis's version of this bag. He doesn't make this bag. But Spiderwire does. And I'm telling you, if you get this, you will not regret it. You have my word on it. And remember, the way Amazon works anyway, if you buy something and you don't like it, you send it back. I have not had a single complaint about this, and I have sold hundreds of them. Check it out today, the Spiderwire Wolf Tackle Bag. And it's fairly old now, but there's a video showing all of my equipment that I keep in there. I keep uh, uh, an aerator, a cast net, a couple reels, minnow traps, different uh, prepared baits, line, pliers, you name it. I mean, literally, I can just be somewhere and pull this out and be fishing in 10 minutes. So check it out again. It's made by Spiderwire, the Wolf Tackle Bag. And check out my video that goes with the write-up today. How do you find it? Well, you go to the survivalpodcast.com or tspaz.com and you find it. But if you were on the Daily Mail, you wouldn't have to find anything. Every day you get a quick mail. And you can say, I'm interested in that. I'm not interested in that. You might even like really enjoy my photos of the day that I've been doing. I mean, it's very cool pictures that, that I've been sending out once a day. So a quick picture to look at and maybe maybe laugh at or maybe learn something from. Or maybe just think, that's kind of cool. A lot of it is stuff off my Instagram that Dorothy takes and doesn't tell me about. So uh, it's kind of a backdoor look into our lives as well. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with the song of the day. We are in America Week, not songs about America, songs by the band America, uh, most notably from the decade of the 70s. This is one of my favorite America songs. It's called Tin Man. And it is, of course, referencing Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. But this song is really kind of surreal. The, the band member who wrote it referred to it as like a dolly painting, right? Like you have to interpret it much broader than that. 
And, you know, so I leave it up to you to interpret this song uh, for yourself uh, today. But uh, as we go through our America week, I think this is probably uh, probably their second biggest hit that we'll be playing for you this week. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Sometimes late when things are real and people share the gift of gab between themselves. Some are quick to take the bait and catch the perfect prize that waits among the shells. But Oz never did give nothing to the tin man that he didn't didn't already have And cause never was the reason for the evening Or the tropic of Sir Galahad So please believe in me When I say I'm spinning round, 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 round Smoke blast stain bright cup Image going down, down Tropic of Sir Galahad.